So we've been looking at, and we're not going to be talking directly about it today, but just the church of the city that that we're like the church of Lane County, like there's the church of Philippi or Corinth or things like that. And the question is, if we have this large church that we're all a part of, or maybe a question would be, is why do we need local congregations? Why don't we just all meet as one big church? Because, I mean, there's great sermons online. I mean, I think I'm bringing something good for you today, but I know that there are people who can speak much better than I can. And I know that um, there's amazing podcasts that I can listen to. Um, You know, like the Bible Project, personally, I really enjoy the Bible Project. And Tim Mackey has his... um, his podcasts where they'll spend hours talking about what goes into a little 12-minute video. And I listen to that, and I hear him talking and the banter, and I feel like I really get to know him because he shares little things even about his life sometimes in the midst of it, and it's like, I know this person. But Tim Mackey has no idea who I am. (laughs) In fact, I would say probably for the majority of you, Tim Mackey has no idea who you are. I'm sure there's at least one exception here, but except for you, that's true for all of us. He doesn't know my name. He doesn't know where I live. He doesn't know who I'm married to or the struggles in my life. He doesn't even know God's call in my life. He doesn't know what God's calling me to. And the truth is, Tim Mackey does an incredible thing for the kingdom as far as how we see the world or or the word in in a holistic sense. But God's design for us personally is for us to grow and mature within community. So I'm not saying what he's doing is not important. What I'm saying actually is what's more important is that we have people in our lives who know us, people in our lives who can speak into our lives, people in our lives who we're willing to be vulnerable with, So discipleship, which is in part what we're talking about. And by the way, I can say, I want to submit to you that family and discipleship are in some way synonymous. Because when we are in family, we're in community with one another, when we're walking alongside one another, when we're pursuing God together, we are discipling each other at the same time. And discipleship is not about the pursuit of knowledge. And yes, we need to know scripture but we also need to know others and we need to be known. Knowledge is not the core of discipleship, relationship is. That the heart of discipleship is relationship. Will you say that again with me? The heart of discipleship is relationship. One more time. The heart of discipleship is relationship. So I'm going to shift away from Tim Mackey as much as I appreciate him and talk about Tim Muthy, the Timothy of Scripture. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was groan-worthy, but that was about it. Um, what I want to do is I want to focus on Timothy's relationship with Paul that we see through actually a very large portion of Scripture in the New Testament. And usually we think of Timothy as the disciple, right? You sh- Church truism, you should have a Paul in your life, someone iron sharpening iron, and a Timothy in your life. Has anybody heard that before? No, okay, well, at the other churches that I've been at, that's been something. 
So we think of Timothy as the disciple and Paul as the discipler, right? But I want us to admit it's far more complex than that. You know, the truth is, is that to Paul, Timothy was a son. To Paul, he, Timothy was a peer and he was the next generation of leadership being raised up in the church. And I, I kind of want to start at the end because sometimes when we go where the story ends, it gives us an appreciation for how it began. And if we look at Paul for just a brief moment, three missionary journeys actually starts off right persecuting the Christians in the name of God, hits the road of Damascus, complete turnaround in his life, spends 13 years reconciling that, confronts the, the um, other apostles, becomes recognized as an apostle, has three missionary journeys, multiple trips to Jerusalem. He goes to Rome, he's under house arrest, and that's where Acts ends, right? And then he's actually released from captivity, from house arrest, and he spends a little bit of time out. He, he writes um, a letter to Titus, I think, during that time. And then he's, during Nero's reign, he's picked up again, is, un, is under arrest, he's in chains, and he's going to be executed and martyred. It doesn't show up in the book of Acts, but from other things, this is what we believe happened. And it's during this time, the last thing Paul wrote that we have is 2 Timothy. And JP, if you'd pull up 2 Timothy um, 1. So this is the context of Paul in jail for the last time, knowing that things were gonna go bad and he is writing to his dear friend, Timothy. To Timothy, my beloved child, God's grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as I did my ancestors with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I might be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you. For this reason, I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Later, towards the end of that same letter, he speaks again to Timothy in a really intimate way. In Second Timothy 4, 6, and 7, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This is a letter of deep, interconnected friendship. This isn't a casual acquaintance. This is someone who he spent years with. Someone who Paul knows Timothy's soul, but I would submit that Timothy knows Paul's soul just as well because of all the time they've spent together. 
I think there's things in this letter that we will never understand because they were so close, there were nods and winks to the relationship that we don't have context because we weren't there. We didn't have the shared experiences they had. And he's encouraging Timothy in verses four and five. As I remember your tears, and I'm guessing this had to be when he was, they were being parted, Timothy was weeping at, at not being able to see Paul for a while. I long to see you and be filled with joy. He's reminding Timothy that Timothy brings joy to Paul, and he has for years. And then he also challenges him. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flames the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. These are some of Timothy's last words, excuse me, some of Paul's last words to Timothy. This is like a deathbed, what's the last thing I can say to you? And he's encouraging Timothy to walk in what's been given him and in areas that Timothy, I'm guessing Paul would know, probably struggles at times. But he wants him to remember that. So here's the things I want you to see in this, and we'll hit them again probably, is that A, they were vulnerable to one another and they knew one another very well. And out of that, the encouragement they received was amazing and they had the ability to challenge each other in areas where they needed to grow or change because it was covered by a depth of love. I have had people give me amazing compliments that meant nothing to me because they saw something good I did, but they didn't know me. They don't know my junk. They don't know what an idiot can be. They haven't talked to Kristen. <laughs> now, I will say, if anyone's going to be at my back and defend me, it will be Kristen. But she knows my stuff. My kids know my stuff. The people I work with know my stuff. When somebody really knows me and they give me a compliment that I'm not looking for, that pierces my heart. That is something I can hold on to because they're not complimenting something I did good. They're complimenting me on my character and who I am because they know me. And that's meaningful. And you can't have that if you don't know someone. That's God's design for discipleship. That's God's design for ecclesia. That's God's design for family. So let's go back now to the beginning of that relationship. Paul, again, after persecuting the church and on the road to Damascus and and um, finally being sent out of Antioch and Syria to the Gentiles with the approval of the apostles in Jerusalem, begins his first missionary journey with Barnabas, and they go through Galatia, which is in modern, you know, if, if Syria's here, if Syria's here, <laughs> gotta do the mirror in my head, and Turkey's up here, there's Antioch in Syria, and then he's up in Galatia, which is in Turkey, and they're going through Para, another Antioch, which is in Galatia. There's like more than one Portland in the world. There was more than one Antioch. Um, Iconia, Lystra, and Derby. They went there, and they went back again, and J.R.R. Tolkien wrote about it. <laughs> Slightly different story. Anyway, the key city here is Lystra because there's a family in Leicester that came to Christ. There was a grandmother named Lois, her daughter Eunice, who was married 
to a Greek, they, um, Lois and Eunice are Jews, and their son, Timothy, who all came to know the Lord as, as Christians and believers during that first missionary trip. Now, I don't know if Paul knew Timothy at all, but I'm sure Timothy listened to Paul. And Paul might have known him as one of the eager faces out in the crowd that was listening avidly, and he, or he might have known he might have known him as, oh, that's Timothy, that's Eunice's grandson or, or son or Lois's grandson, but he didn't know him. Are you following me? And then Paul left and he's back and he wrote his letter to Galatia, Galatians that was sent back to that area. And I bet you Timothy was one of the people that at least heard it if he didn't read it himself. And then in Acts 16, we pick up the story again and Paul is now on his second missionary journey, and this time he's out going out with Silas. And so in Acts 16, 1 through 5, Paul came also to Derby and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And I just want to pause for a second. We're talking two cultures that do not get along. So I would submit that Timothy was an alien in both and not accepted in either because he wasn't fully one or the other, right? He was well spoken of by the brothers, and we could also add sisters, at Lystra and Iconium. So he had, during this year or two that Paul was gone, he had risen in prominence within the church because of his heart for the Lord. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. As he went through the cities, they delivered for them um, observances of the decision that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith and they increased in number daily. So Luke has taken a lot that's happening and put it in one brief paragraph. Now, a couple things. If we looked at verse 4, they went out through the cities, delivering for them the observances, excuse me, delivering to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. Because there was, and that, if we went back in time and we spent a lot of time there, basically the Jews said, if you're going to become a Christian, you need to become a Jew first, which means all the loaves of Moses, including circumcision. And they had a big argument, and Paul was defending the Gentiles, saying, this is ridiculous. Jesus freed us from the law. He didn't bring us back under the law because he completed the law. We don't need to do all of these things. And they came up with a compromise uh, about um, marital fidelity, basically, and not drinking the blood from animals that had been sacrificed in other places. Basically, an, an old um, mosaic excuse me, Noah, Noah's, words are escaping me, but basically an older covenant that didn't include as much, that was all that was necessary for new believers. So Paul is the champion of you do not need to be circumcised. Okay? And then in the sentence before, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, he took him and circumcised him. This is one of those scriptures that when I was doing my faith really, really troubled me because I don't like hypocrisy. I'm not saying I'm not hypocritical at all. I'm saying I don't like it. Here's what I think it played out. 
between Paul and Timothy, what it might have looked like, because they've spent some time together. When Paul makes a decision to include Timothy in the rest of his missionary trip, I'm sure they've spent a month or so there, and he's really gotten to know Timothy. And he's seeing something, and I believe Holy Spirit has highlighted Timothy, and Paul knows that's who he's supposed to take. So I think it, it might have sounded something like this. Timothy, I heard about you before I'd returned. Your passion for following Christ, and I'm impressed by your depth of knowledge of both Jewish and Greek cultures. Understanding these cultures would be a huge help in our mission if you would join us. There's just one thing, though, that could hinder you as a leader. Would you consider being circumcised? I'm confused. You, You didn't ask Titus to be circumcised. In fact, you defended his worth as a believer. True. Both of his parents were Gentiles. Your mother's a Jew. And many Jews will expect that you were already circumcised as part of that heritage. I can understand that, but aren't we speaking mostly to Gentiles? As with, as with here, I, I always start in the synagogue. Truth be told, I often get more resistance from Jews than I do from the Gentiles. I I wanna be really clear with you, Timothy. I don't believe it's necessary for your standing as a Christian at all. I'm asking you because I believe you will be a leader in the church and it will silence arguments that the Jews will use against you. I'm asking you to consider the sacrifice so that you can reach more of our people as we spread gospels to all of the people. This is your choice, because it's your future. This is a hard thing you're asking of me, yet I'm willing to sacrifice so, so that I can increase the glory and the grace given to God. I'll, I'll just need some time to recover before we go. We really don't know what was said. But I believe that both men had to be vulnerable and they had to be honest to get this result. I don't think Paul in good conscience could require that of Timothy. I think he had to ask him. And whether it's through wisdom or the Holy Spirit, I think he believed that that request was for Timothy's best for what God had set out for Timothy. Timothy's vulnerability is a little more apparent. But he also had to trust Paul and trust what Paul was saying to to make a pretty vital change in his own life. So Timothy does. And they leave and they go to Philippi. And Paul and Silas are thrown in jail. And as they're singing at midnight, the jail doors break open and the Jailer's going to kill himself because he thinks they've escaped and they say, no, we're here. And they bring the jailer and all of his family into the family of God. And Timothy was there in the town as a witness. And, And then they go to Thessalonica and just as Paul said, jealous Jews create a problem. They storm the house of Jason and the local authorities have to put them down saying, if you guys don't knock it off, It won't go well for you. 
Finally, they end up in Corinth, and they spend over a year and a half there. And while they're in Corinth, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, so again, during the second missionary journey, while in Corinth, those letters are written to the believers in Thessalonica. And if we pull up JP, 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 3. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind in Athens alone. This is Paul speaking about himself. He went to Athens, and there's a whole great story there. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions or the persecutions that were happening. He refers right there to Timothy as a brother and a coworker. He's recognizing the value Timothy has and he's letting them know that's why Paul sent Timothy to them. Now here's what's interesting in both 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians verses 1 Paul, I think, do you have that, JP? It'd be 1 Thessalonians 1.1. 1, 1. Yep. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians. I'm just going to stop there. Who is this letter from? Is it from Paul? It's from Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. There are three authors of this letter. Guess what? 2 Thessalonians has the same three authors. We attribute all these epistles to Paul, and I'm, I'm sure Paul was the main author, but these were co-labored letters that, that I don't think Paul would have put Silvanus and Timothy's name on them if they didn't contribute or weren't a part of putting that letter together. Does that make sense? They return back, and later they have their third missionary journey, and they go from Antioch to Tarsus, Iconium, Ephesus, Troas, Neapolis, and Philippi. And there's this long stay in Ephesus. And while they're in Ephesus, some letters are written to the Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians 4.17, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then to be imitators of me. Paul puts this in multiple letters to the churches in various areas. To be imitators of me, Paul, because I, Paul, am an imitator of Christ. I'm actually asking you to imitate Christ, become an imitator of Christ like me, but God has me here so you can look at me. I'm physical form. You can see me. You can touch me and be like me in pursuing Christ first above all else. Does that make sense? And then he continues, that is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them every way in the church. Now, Paul is calling Timothy not a brother or a co-laborer, but a child in this instance. But he's doing it in a way that's saying, the reason I call him my child is he is like me in pursuing Christ so wholeheartedly. Imitate him as you would imitate me. I sent you to him because he is someone who is worthy of being imitated. I think that's a little bit of the original fake it until you make it. 
But I would submit that he's saying, don't just fake it, put God first in your life. Make your faith first and wrap your life around that. Here's my point, and hopefully I didn't belabor it. Paul recognized Timothy as a peer and a partner in spreading the gospel. The gospel was spread and increased by the strength of their relationship. They knew each other. Paul both encouraged and challenged Timothy. He reminded him who he was, and he he encouraged him and strengthened him and tried to convict him in areas that he struggled. Timothy's name is in every epistle except for Galatians, which was written written before Paul knew Timothy, Ephesians, I don't know why, and the letter to Titus, because the letter to Titus, not the letter to Timothy. (laughs) That would kind of make sense. What a great friendship they had. How much Paul relied on Timothy. I think Timothy was far more than a disciple. I don't think disciple covers it. So I'm lifting this relationship up, not as an example of how to disciple, but as an example of how to be a disciple, how to walk in family, how to walk in relationship. You may be in here today seeking family, and I am thankful that you're here, that we, can, we consider ourselves family. You may feel like no one here really knows you. You may feel isolated. And I want to encourage you to take the risk to be vulnerable and start to connect to other people. Don't wait for them to connect to you. They can't read your mind. They don't know how lonely you may actually feel. But I can tell you this, I know there's people of good hearts and good will here who will get to know you, who do want to invest in you. And the truth is they want you to invest in them as well. As a pastor, and a leader, I want you to know that I invite others to speak in my life. That in the men's groups I lead, I encourage them to speak into my life just as I speak into their life. The other pastors that I work with, Jason, Joshua, Jeff, Janelle, they all have an open invitation. If they see something in me that needs to be shifted or changed, that they can speak to that. And I'm really, really grateful that the majority of the speaking into my life is encouragement, not correction. (laughs) But I welcome the correction just as much. I do the same with my wife. I encourage her to speak into my life. Sometimes I receive it better than other times. And I may be balking and saying, oh, you don't know what you're talking about, but I'm really, really down underneath. I'm listening. (laughs) I just haven't admitted it to myself yet. And I see this happen in our men's groups. That's why I call them discipleship groups. That's why I call them family. I want to submit that us here in this room today is like a gigantic family reunion, okay? But you need to be in groups that are smaller where you spend time really getting to know one another. And then what I see in these groups when they start really forming is, is a guy saying, gosh, I'm, 
I'm struggling in general, but I, I know that I need to be working out and I can't seem to discipline myself to do it. And then another guy saying, hey, I've got a gym at my house. Why don't you come over three mornings a work a week and we'll work out together. Now they're doing life on life. And, and um, it might be that they send a text out to the group that I'm, I'm struggling tonight. Is anybody available to talk? And like three guys text back, hey, I'm here if you want to talk. And sometimes just knowing someone's there is almost as important as talking to them. And sometimes you pick up the phone and you talk because you know that conversation is going to help you where you're at. What happens is that we come together and we celebrate successes. And when we encounter failure, we help each, walk, along each other, walk alongside each other to encourage each other. So here's my question for you, my challenge for you. I'm going to stop for a second. I, when, you go to, when you're in school as a kid, there's certain things that stick out in your mind. You don't, and I remember ninth grade, English teacher, don't remember her name. But I remember her saying, you will be lucky if you have one or two good friends in your entire life. You would be lucky if you have one or two friends in your entire life. I would submit to you, you need three or four people who know your soul beyond your spouse who can encourage you and walk alongside you. And there's been times when I've been asked the question, do you have other men in your life? Do you have other people in your life? And the answer has been not really. And the reason I'm asking you this question of do you have people who have permission to talk in your lives is it's hard to give someone permission to talk in your life if you don't know them. And if you don't know them, you need to start finding them, not waiting for them to find you. And this isn't a discipleship relationship where we sign up to read a book together and do something like that. Some of it may be just, hey, can we go out to coffee and get to know one another? I want to encourage you that relationships are built around shared experiences. And as you share experiences together and you share life, you learn who this other person is. And then someday one of you shares something vulnerable, something that scares you, something that challenges you, and the other hears that, listens to it, and instead of rejecting you, they love you. And the level of trust and the level of safety just increased because you spent time together. So continue spending that time together, deepen that trust, and you're going to have those people who know your soul. Now, we have the big group, but we also have small groups. We have men's groups. We have women's groups. We have home groups. And I don't want to overlook things like M's bas baseball games, rafting trips, women's retreats. <laughs> that when you're engaged with other people, go to these things to meet and get to know other people in this church. And I'm not saying you can't have a relationship that's just as deep or meaningful with somebody who's outside of this church. I think one thing, though, that is necessary is you need to have other believers because we are unique as believers that are, we are seeking to become imitators of Christ. Now, I have non-believers that have spoken in my life who I love and probably still will. No. 
I know I will still love them. They will probably still continue to speak into my life. <laughs> Be clear on that. <laughs> but I need men and women who love Jesus in my life because I'm pursuing to become more like him. And unless they have that same pursuit, they don't understand what I'm seeking. It starts with small things, but can become something very meaningful. You need to take the initiative to start those relationships going and not be discouraged if they don't happen right away. Ask God to highlight people for you. Now, two things are going to occur in a moment. One is if the people in the prayer team can start coming forward. If you're seeking a word, if you need some encouragement, if you want someone to stand with you as you pray for something, come up and let us pray for you. But I'm asking you right now first to all close your eyes. And I want you to start asking God, who is he calling you to encourage or reach out to? And it may be that God's put someone on your heart or is about to put someone on your heart that he's saying, walk beside this person, get to know them better. Or it may be that it's like, I really feel like this person has something I need or I could learn from them and I want to get to know them better. That they have a quality or something to speak in your life. So now open your eyes and look across the room. And if the Holy Spirit is highlighting any of those people to you, and that may end up being a prayer person up front too, nobody's exempt. I want to encourage you to go talk to them. Or if there's somebody who has had a deep impact on your life, go share it with them, let them know. Because that can encourage them. But take a moment before you leave today to strengthen or start at least one relationship. Let me close this in prayer. Lord, I thank you that you are the three in one. That you are the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in such close community that you become the model for all of us. I ask that you continue to strengthen us, encourage us. Lord, give us boldness to be vulnerable enough to let other people into our lives. Lord, we want to be people who seek after you and are known as the most moldable people in the world because we will allow you to transform us. We thank you, we praise you, and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.